All right, once again, good morning, folks. Good to have you uh, with me here, both in person and online. Uh, for those of you on our email list, I sent you a bit of a teaser of what we're going to be covering today. And we're talking about sheep and goats, sheep and goats. And I'll get into the specific of that in a bit. But uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but our culture has appropriated the word goat. It used to refer to just a farm animal and a farm animal only. But now it's evolved into an acronym. Are you familiar with this acronym? If someone refers to someone as the GOAT, what does this mean? Greatest of all time. No one, you guys don't even hesitate. Every other question I ask you, <laughs> see, I, I don't want to answer. Just but I was like, greatest of all time. That's right. It means the greatest of all time. And online, folks, I also apologize. You're not going to be able to see this screen very well, but uh, we'll try and come up with a remedy for that in the weeks ahead. But uh, and it stands for greatest of all time. And I'll also give you the scripture references for folks online uh, so you can follow along. I'll let you know those ahead of time, too. But anyway, I recently heard that someone had to explain this to, to Meryl Streep uh, when she heard someone refer to her as the goat. She took it very personally, and she was insulted by the fact that someone was calling her a goat. And they're like, no, 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 that's a good thing if you're the goat. You're the greatest of all time. It's an honor to be called that. Uh, it's really saying something when someone says you're the, the greatest in your field. And, and uh and to me, and uh, you have to give me, uh, I've used this illustration before, so you'll pardon me if I uh, sound repetitive here, but there are a few people who unarguably are the greatest in their field. And in my opinion, in my expert opinion, when we're talking about the game of basketball, who is the greatest of all time? And the incorrect answer is LeBron James. <laughs> the correct answer would be the one and only Michael Jordan. And he's flying, flying through the air. It's Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. He was part of one NCAA national championship, uh, six NBA championship teams, a 14-time MVP award recipient, 14-time All-Star. He was the winner of 10 scoring titles, two Olympic gold medals, and a two-time NBA slam dunk champion. And on top of that, uh, he's just got a way of elevating the play of everyone uh, around him. He just had that ability that he made all the people around him better. Now, uh, you may or may not have known this, but when Michael Jordan was a sophomore, when he was a sophomore in high school, he went out for the varsity basketball team and he did not make the team. He didn't make the team. He was cut from the team. And it's believed that it was as a result of this that he became so motivated so motivated to train as hard as he could to make the team the following year. And that he did. And he went on to become the Michael Jordan. Now, many of you all do not know this, but Michael Jordan and I have a lot in common. <laughs> you see, I too was cut from the basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> I was in high school. I was devastated. I really was devastated because I really thought I was ready. I thought it was good enough. I relentlessly practiced. And, and, the, and the fact that I was cut from the team served to pursue this career that I'm in now <laughs> in ministry. And I don't know if they give out the greatest discipleship director of all time awards, G-D-D-O-A-T, good adult. <laughs> in all seriousness, though, uh, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of, of going out for a team and, and not making the team or being cut from the team, but uh, it's devastating. We've had to deal with that a couple of times for our own kids. And yes, uh, I, I dealt with it as a child and, and a teen too. It's devastating. And I, and I think what makes it so hard, what makes it so hard, as much as we try and sugarcoat it, as much as we try and sugarcoat it, we'll, we tell ourselves or our children, well, well, you were cut because the coach is trying to motivate you. 
or uh, some other circumstances. But most of the time, the harsh reality is you, you just you just weren't good enough. You didn't make it because you you there were people better than you. And I and I think there must be a precious few instances in the history of sports where they they cut an amazing player to make room for a player who isn't as good. That just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. So generally speaking, when a, a coach exercises his duty to to cut down the team he or she is looking to retain the best players and, and, uh, and, and cut the remaining ones. That's the harsh reality of it. And again, if you're on the cutting edge or, or cutting uh, end of one of these transactions, most often, most often what we take away from that is, I guess I wasn't good enough. I guess I wasn't good enough and it hurts. And I, and I challenge you to look in the eyes of a teenager who didn't make a team that they really wanted to be on and, and look, up, look, up, look, up, look at them in the eyes and, and see their disappointment and, and try and not be moved by that. And try and, have, try and not have compassion in some manner and try and engage in the futile exercise of, of finding the words that will make them feel better in the moment. And, and it's not just relegated to teenagers too, I'm afraid. You know, maybe it's a job that you really wanted. Uh, maybe it's a relationship that you were in. And, and our hearts immediately go to a place of, was I not good enough? Was I not good enough? Or it's a harsh reality. And, and, and it's a harsh reality that makes us really uncomfortable when we, we look at the passage that we're going to look at today. Um, this passage is really kind of uncomfortable when it presents us a harsh reality, which is why I'm including it in this, this hard sayings series uh, that we're in, in a world where sometimes we wish everybody could make the team, right? Uh, and sometimes that's not the case. And, and this is what we read starting is the 25th chapter of Matthew, verse 31. Matthew, for folks online, I'll, I'll let, give you a chance to get your Bibles up, but Matthew 25, 31 uh, starts out and it goes like this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Okay, so, so right off the bat, we're seeing that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, all right, is engaged in an activity where he's separating two things, just like a shepherd would do. Okay, this would have this would have been very common uh, back in Jesus's time. A shepherd was uh, was a common profession. They were they were everywhere in Nashville. It would be like calling out uh, doctors or, or musicians. Right. Uh, the doctor will separate the healthy from the sick. Doesn't translate very well. Or, or the, the musician will separate the, the good instruments from the bad, <laughs> bad instruments. It just doesn't work. Aren't you glad that Jesus was alive when he was? And, and uh, metaphors are much easier when you're separating animals. OK, but again, this would would have been very common in Jesus's day a shepherd tending to this mixed flock. And there's something more profound here. And maybe uh, Jesus's original audience would, uh, would have understood what we're, we're missing. When we picture this scene, we might think of a big green area and, and there were goats and sheep and they're just doing what goats and sheep do. But, but thinking of shepherds back then in this region in areas where, where, where grazing is sparse because of droughts, okay? Uh, which would have been very common back then. Goats would usually browse rather than, than graze and, and, uh, and would then in turn intermingle with the sheep, okay? But when the evening came, you know, when the evening came and it was time to separate the goats and the sheep, why would the shepherd separate them? Well, because it was cold at night, all right? And if you're a, a sheep with a nice warm wool coat, 
that's not so bad. Goats weren't as tolerant of the colder air, so the shepherds would have to bring them in and, and shelter them. So when it was time to separate these animals, the shepherd would call the sheep and they would follow the shepherd's voice. Right? They were used to it and accustomed to the shepherd's voice, and they would follow the shepherd's voice. In fact, Jesus made a comparison elsewhere in scripture. You may know this one, right? Uh, John 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Uh, Jesus wasn't creating a new metaphor here. Yeah, this was very common back for shepherds in, in his day. The idea of sheep, sheeps, sheep and herding and recognizing the shepherd's voice was, was common. The sheep followed the voice of the shepherd. Now, where's the goats? Goats didn't care. <laughs> goats didn't care. They, they'd ignore the voice of the shepherd for the most part. Have you ever seen anyone play fetch with a goat? <laughs> I've not seen that. Actually, you probably can find that on go to YouTube. Someone has done it. Someone, someone has done it. All right. Uh, goats are hard-headed, though. Generally speaking, goats are hard-headed. They do their own thing. And I'm sure, uh, again, someone has figured out how to play fetch with them. But anyway, they're hard-headed. And so do you see the contrast that, that Jesus is setting up here? He's saying, this is, what it's going to be, this is what it's going to be like, like a shepherd that separates sheep and goats. This is how I'm going to separate not animals, but people, okay? Not animals, but people. And so he's making this comparison, and it wouldn't have required much interpretation before he goes any further. And the question maybe that pops into your head or someone's head might be, do I want to be a sheep? Or do I want to be a goat? You know, please, Jesus, continue so we know. We don't want to be goats. In fact, goats have long been associated with evil. The Old Testament portrays the goat as a sin-bearing animal sent into the desert, which was, again, a foreshadowing of Jesus and his crucifixion. You know, this is where we get the idea of a scapegoat. Not a good thing to be a goat. It's not a compliment. So Jesus is separating sheep and goats. And you might even say he's separating good from bad. And, and again, what bothers us about this is, is not that he's separating something innocuous like bananas, right? Good bananas from bad bananas. Even bad bananas make good banana bread, right? <laughs> right on. He's separating good people from bad people. Good people from bad people. Now, as uncomfortable as this, this makes us, we have to realize what is significant uh, about this, that Jesus devotes a lot of time to this, a lot of space in the scriptures to this idea. This is not just a passing sentence. This is why in, in the context of, uh, of the parable, Jesus preaches about uh, the end of history. It's all in the same context. When Jesus comes back and there will be virgins with no oil in their lamps and, and they're left out of, of the party or the servant who, who buried his talent. It's all in the same context. He not only does he get to, to experience the joy of his master, you know, who, the one who, who didn't bury his talent, but uh, uh, excuse me, the one who buried his talent, but uh, he's cast away. It's the same thing. It's the same idea. It's Jesus at the end of history, separating people, the good from the bad. And so what we should do is, is this should make us look at this passage and asks, what qualifies someone to be amongst the good? What disqualifies someone and puts them in with the bad? And, and when you start asking questions like that, I think the next natural question that comes along with that is, which one am I? Do, do you ever have doubts? Do you ever have moments where you're wondering, am I a sheep or a goat? And, and how can I really know for sure? And that's what this passage comes down to. It comes down to the idea of, 
if we had to paint a broader bucket to place this in, uh, when it comes down to it, when you're either on the team or not on the team, what do I need to do to be on the team? And I think that's what we usually do. We say, what do I need to do? What do, what do I need to do to be on the team? And the, the, the hard thing is about this passage is the deeper you get into it, it does make it seem like, okay, that's what I then need to do. But there's, I think you all know by now that there's more to the story than, than just doing something, right? Let's, uh, let's keep going into this, all right? Uh, Jesus in the verse to follow then details for us what it is that separates the good from the bad. Here's what separates the good from the bad. Imagine the scenario with me, okay? Let's just say that my wife, Tracy, and I went out to dinner uh, to a really uh, fancy restaurant uh, like Applebee's. <laughs> Why is that funny? <laughs> uh, and, I, and I told the hostess, yes, table for two, please. And the hostess said to me, uh, well, we, it's you here, uh, but we can't sit your wife. <laughs> what do you suppose my reaction should be? <laughs> What should it be? <laughs> Tracy, would you mind eating in the car? <laughs> well, I enjoyed my riblet basket. No, I'm, I'm not going to say that, right? I would leave. That should be the proper response. I mean, it'd be unthinkable, right? We're going to Chili's, all right? Same thing with my kids. If we're, if we're on vacation and uh, we want to check into a hotel and they tell us, I'm sorry, but your kids aren't allowed to stay here. Boys, how do you feel about sleeping in the car? Is that going to, that's not part of, no, if you can't, if my kids can't stay here, you know, we're, we're not going to stay here, right? And herein lies, herein, how you treat me, or excuse me, how you treat my family is how you treat me. How you, how you honor my wife is, is what, how you honor me. How you honor my family, how you treat my family, that I'm going to take that personally. And herein lies the secret to understanding this passage, Okay. Because here's what Jesus goes. Here's where he goes after talking about separating people. Where, what, uh, what distinguishes the ones that he puts on the left from the ones he puts on his right. He goes on to say this, Matthew 25, verse 34 and following. Then the king will say to those on his right, see, see if you can pick it out. Okay, see if you can pick it out here. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was, a, I was uh, in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of these least of my brothers, you did it to me. All right. So what is the secret here? Are you trying to see around me? Do I need to duck? I got it. I got okay. it. <laughs> it's big. I put it up there nicely. Oh, you were looking for the reference, weren't you? Absolutely. Matthew 25, 34 to 40. Matthew 25, 34 to 40. What's, the, what's going on here? So what's, if we're talking about separating people, and then Jesus goes into this, what separates people? What separates people from the left? people on the right like i said when you read it doesn't it make it seem like well if i do this is that where your head goes immediately or you have other thoughts yeah, truly more of like the love of god that's living in you the holy spirit that you know would cause you to want to do these things so in other words you're saying truly that this is maybe the byproduct of something else that's going on inside mm -hmm. and the reality inside mm -hmm. 
That is the lesson for me, folks. Trudy just wrapped that's perfect. That's exactly right. Okay, but let's let's unearth it a little bit more. No, I, I love that. I love it when this happens because again, that that that's the that's the right answer. That is the right answer. But how do we get there? Because it doesn't immediately seem that that's the case when we read this. Because when we first read it, it seems like he's just saying, when you clothe the sick, when you feed the hungry, when you do these things, that's how you do. It. But wait a minute, Trudy said something different. How did you arrive at that, Dean? Did you have something to say? Well, I was just thinking about like this. As I said this week, the, the first five commandments are to love God, mm -hmm. and then you're to love one another. So this is, it's just really encapsulates that love, you love one another. That's how you keep my commandments. Love God, love people. He said, uh, what's, mm -hmm. the greatest, what's the greatest commandment? He gave you two, right? Yeah. But he also said the second one is like it. Mm -hmm. Meaning if you do this, 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 uh, this first one, th doing the second one is like doing the first one. So he just boils it down. And so let's back into it. Let's see how we, how we get there, okay? The critical piece to understand is yes, it's not just that Jesus is saying, if you take care of people less fortunate than you, then you, then you do it for me, okay? He's really saying, and here's the critical word. Here's the critical word. As you did the least of these, my brothers, we often forget this, that this is here. You did it to me. What, what does brothers suggest? Family. Uh-huh. Uh, are you familiar with uh, the account? I've been talking about this a lot. This is that, that uh, first I talked about this last Wednesday and preached on a few weeks ago. The account where Paul encountered uh, Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 4. Paul still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord. Uh, you know, who's he breathing? Threats of murder against the Lord, right? So continuing, it went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So he found any belonging to the way, men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me, he says. You see what he's saying? This is, this is uh, saying that Jesus is at union with his followers. If you persecute believers, you persecute me, he's saying. If you commit harm against believers, you commit harm against me. It's my body. So when Jesus says, as you did it to the least of one of these, my brothers, he's talking about his disciples and not just the 12, but any follower of Christ. He's saying, when you take care of when you take care of my body of believers, when you take care of my followers, when my followers are hungry, when my followers are thirsty, when my followers are strangers, when they need clothes, when they're sick and in prison, when you take care of their needs, it's the same as if you were doing it to me, to me. Now, as a side note, this is not to say that we therefore aren't supposed to care for uh, people, homeless people, sick people that aren't Christian. The Bible is very clear about that. All right, we're to we love our neighbor to the exclusion of no one. We're told your neighbor is your neighbor. Your neighbor is a human being who was created in the image of God. And this fellow image bearer is the one that you're to love regardless of age, race, sex, religion. That's, that's biblical. But my point here is that in this passage, in this passage, Jesus is specifically talking about his church, his body of believers, the people he considers to be his very hands and feet. The care with which you show them is the care you give to me. So here's what it boils down to. When Jesus is separating people and putting them on his left and on his right, what does it boil down to? 
What puts you on the right? What puts you on the left? It comes down to how you handle Christ himself. If you're on the left, if you're on the right, it comes down to how you handle Christ himself. It always comes back to Christ. Always comes back to Christ. How you treat people is how you treat, uh, how you treat Christ and how you treat Christ is the determining factor will put you on the right or left. Now, that begs the question, right? How are we supposed to treat Christ? How are we supposed to treat Christ? Is this saying, if you feed me, if you give me drink? Because again, we're still, we still haven't reached, we've gotten past this dilemma here. You know, if you feed my church, if you, if you give my church drink, if you, if you clothe them, if you care for them when I'm in prison, if we do those things, then does that qualify? Because it still makes it seem like we're, we're being told to do something. Do something and then you get this reward. And I feel like most of you know that that doesn't sound like the gospel, right? What's he telling us? Again, if you read this passage and you only read this passage, that's what you might be led to believe. And this is why, this is why I always emphasis, put an emphasis on the fact of number one context, but you really do have to understand how not only Matthew fits within the gospel, how it fits within the, the New Testament, but how it all fits together as the, as the whole counsel of God. You've got to have this, this big overarching picture, this understanding of what's happening in scriptures. And that's why I would encourage you, if you've never read through the Bible, do it. And then do it again. And then do it again. And then do it again and again and again. And it's not that, oh, this year now I know the Bible because I've read through it. No, it's, it's, the, to, it's the sum total of all of it. And when you pull it all together, you finally start having these moments of, I see how this passage now fits within the greater picture of of, uh, of, of the redemptive story, okay? It, uh, you have to understand everything here. We have to look at the entire context around and determine what Jesus is saying here. It wasn't uh, so long ago when my kids were a little younger than they are now. Uh, it seemed like they were always at each other. And uh, there's, there's one thing that I'm surrounded, there's one thing I'm grateful about COVID. I think it actually pulled them together a little bit in the sense that when we were all in quarantine and locked down together, they actually learned to like each other a little bit better. And, and uh, it was great. It wasn't so long ago, though, that they weren't being nice to each other and, and they were being ugly to one another. They got to a level where it was beyond, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't, don't say it at all, right? It was beyond that. We'd already gone beyond that. So after I've had enough, do you know what I told them? I said, don't talk to each other. Ever. <laughs> you don't say anything to you, and you don't say anything to you. I mean, nothing. Don't say it at all. Nothing. Don't speak to each other ever. That's a good solution, don't you think? Yeah. Now, let me ask you this Do you think it'd be fair for someone to take the knowledge of, of what they saw in that moment and said, Well, I don't think he's a very good parent? You know, you know why he forbids his children from talking with one another? <laughs> If they're not allowed to talk to each other, can you believe that? Nothing at all. No, of course, that wouldn't be fair. Context matters. Context matters. The content of this passage and discourse of Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, was, again, the last judgment. This is what we're talking about here, the last judgment. The actions that will, will, will take place in the last judgment when all of history ends. Or, again, we're separating good from the bad. And this is like what Trudy was saying a moment ago. This is only one aspect of the judgment scene. There's only one aspect of the judgment scene, the fruit of one salvation, the fact that they fed people, gave them drink, gave them clothing. That's the fruit of salvation. The fact that they did those things are not what saves them. Rather, it's the evidence that they are saved. Okay. We're told over and over again that, that, that uh, in scripture, that justification, 
That is your right standing before God. Your right standing before God. We're told in scripture that comes by way of grace through faith alone. It's not your good works. It's not your good works that justify you. It's your faith in Christ. Your belief in Christ, your understanding of what Christ did through his works, that's what justifies you. That's what makes you right before God. Now, since we're scrutinizing what Jesus was teaching, let's look at a few other things that Jesus said, all right, um, that would affirm what we're saying here. To really make sure that we're understanding this verse correctly, that we're interpreting correctly, let's look at some of the other things, you know. What puts me on the right? What's put, what puts me on the left? We'll have to, have to uh, feed his brothers, clothe them, and give them drink. Let's make sure that that's not what this is saying by examining some other things that he said as well that gives us light and understanding what we're reading here. All right, I'm going to read for you a few things. If we, if we suspect that Jesus is telling us to do all these things for the least of these, to gain salvation, that's what we suspect is happening. Let's see how they work against other things that Jesus is saying too. Start with this one, Matthew 5, 48. Uh, in the context of, of him telling his disciples to love their enemies, he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I remember when I was in college, I got into a, a discussion with someone just on the courtyard there. There was, I'm not sure what religion he was. It was just not Christianity, it was something else. And he took me to this verse. He said, be perfect. That's what Jesus is telling you to do. Are you perfect? And I was like, well, no. I'm like, see? <laughs> and so like, what is that? I know, I know I'm not perfect, but he's telling you to be perfect and you're not perfect. And he was trying to tell me that he was perfect and he could get there. I'm like, well, this is gonna be an interesting conversation. <laughs> But anyway, that's, that, I'll tell you about that conversation another time. But Jesus is telling them here, it's the point here, not to be pretty good, not to be, not to be great. But what's he telling them to be? He's telling them to be perfect. Perfect. That's your standard, perfect. That's what I told the guy, too. The standard is perfection. He's telling them to pursue perfection because their heavenly father is perfect. His standard is your standard. Be perfect. That's all you got to do. Be perfect. So taking this back to caring for the least of these, if that is in fact what gives us right standing with God, feeding his brothers, giving them drink, clothing them, how, how well do we have to do that? How well do we have to do it? Perfectly. We have to do it perfectly. Okay? According to Matthew 5, 48. So you think Jesus is telling us to do something that we've already kind of messed up at? What about this? When Jesus was speaking to a woman, who had the issue with blood. Do you remember this account? And she thought, if I, if I could just touch his garment, if I could just touch his garment, I know that will make, make me well. And she did. And Jesus said, who touched me? All his disciples said, Jesus, are you crazy? Everyone is touching you. We're all pushing you through a big crowd and there's a bunch of people everywhere. This woman knew he was talking about her. And she fell at his feet and told him everything. And Jesus said this to her, Mark 5, 34, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You know something? This is absolutely true. I, I've told you this before, I think. I love magic. I don't mean actual sorcery. I mean sleight of hand. I love it. And I've even joked that I would leave it all tomorrow to become a magician. <laughs> I would do that. I would love that. Uh, totally would do that. I've tried to teach myself so many tricks and I'm terrible at it as much as I try and teach myself some of the stuff, I'm not just good at it. Now, here's something you have to understand about everyone about talked about this last week too, on Wednesday, the, the purpose of miracles, the purpose of Jesus miracles. These are not sleight of hand tricks. These are not magic tricks. These are not meant to, to impress you, which is the only reason I want to learn magic. It's just so people will like me. <laughs> I, this is not that. This is symbolic of something. 
This is pointing us to something. Okay, each and every one of his miracles pointed to something. Each and every one of his miracles told us something of, of who he was and what he was there to do. So when he tells this woman, your faith has made you well, what's he saying? What's the greater truth he's pointing to here? The biggest truth in this moment, Jesus has with this woman about her, her, her uh, being physically healed. Was that, the, was that the biggest issue of the moment? Was that the biggest thing going on right here? Is, is this issue with blood? It was a pointer. Yes, she got healed, but there was, it was a pointer to something else. It was a, it was a foretaste of, of what was to come later, all right? The bigger reality of, 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 of spiritual healing, of spiritual wellness, that was the bigger story happening here. And isn't it curious that this was an issue with blood? Have you ever thought about this? It wasn't a fever. It wasn't she was having difficulty breathing. It was blood. What did Jesus do? He said, because your faith in me, because of your faith in me, you will bleed no longer. She would bleed no longer, but who would? He would. He would bleed. No longer your blood, mine. And he healed her so that she wouldn't have to bleed. Now, what, what brings about healing and, and wellness in this woman? Was it her charity work? <laughs> was it her charity work that made her well? What made her well? It was her faith her faith that made her well, her belief in what Christ could do and is doing. This is what made her well. And most every time, every time that he healed someone, he said the same thing. Your faith has made you well. Your belief in what I'm doing has made you well. Never once did Jesus say, good job, nice work. All your work is paid off. I'm going to heal you now. Not once. Not once did that happen. So let's look at one more phrase that Jesus said. He said this, He's, uh, he's talking about the authority that the Father has given to him, and he's talking about judgment here. He's talking about who receives judgment and who doesn't. Who will be on his right and who will be on his left? Let's see if this clears it up at all for us. This is John chapter 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Whoever hears my word, Hears and believes. Do you know what hears and believes is? It's another word for, for faith. For faith. Belief in the one who sent me. Belief in the one who's done the work on your behalf. This is what separates people. The ones from the right, the ones on the left. It comes down to faith. The point is, this is what Jesus said over and over again. Not your works, not your ability, but the belief in, in that someone else, that's Jesus, did the work on your behalf. This is what makes you well. This is what sets you right before the Father. So, okay, trick question here. Telling in advance is a trick question. Looping back around to our passage. Will we be judged by our works? Will we be judged by our works? Yes. Yes. The answer to that question is yes, our works will serve as the evidence that you've heard and believed. When you hear and believe, then the Spirit begins His work in you, the work of the Spirit that will produce fruit. All right, again, it will be the evidence of His work for you. This is what the parable and subsequent discourse is about. Will we be judged by our works? We just said yes, but we also have to say no. This makes it a trick question. Our works are the evidence. 
our works are the evidence, the proof of our faith, but we're not justified by our works. So in that respect, we aren't judged by our works, okay? And again, that's what this, this whole verse was pointing us back to. And again, if you only read this one verse, and you, and you just read this one in, in isolation, you would walk away thinking, I guess I got some work to do. That's why you have to understand everything that Jesus was talking about, because he goes back to these things and say, yes, it's your fruit. It's your fruit. It's your fruit. It's the, it's the evidence of something else going on inside you, which Trudy summed up for us just a moment ago. You could have saved us about 30 minutes, I think, right? <laughs> I hope it was a fruitful exercise. Uh, any thoughts or questions or comments or anything at all? Any feedback or, or something you want to share with us that... Uh, I'm going to share with the group. Don't be, don't be shy. Don't be bashful. Anybody? Spencer. This is not your point, but a practical argument you can make too, where if you, by trying to serve the poor mm -hmm. without the wisdom of God, you tried that, spent billions and billions and billions of dollars, but it sometimes actually makes things worse than better. Yeah. Um, yeah, Spencer's point is, is that uh, uh, sometimes when we do that, when we do work in our own efforts and try and try on our own without the, the, the spirit of, of, uh, of truth and holiness behind us, sometimes we make things worse. We don't have the discernment. We don't have the, the knowledge of what to do without, you know, the true uh, truth behind us. So, yeah, good point. Someone else? And again, we have, to, we have to be really careful here because this is not telling us, you know, uh, well, you know, just serve this group or just serve that group. You know, the Bible's very clear about who we're serving. You're, you're to love your neighbor, period. Uh, but I think it's, it's really evidence. It's really interesting how Jesus got us there where he, where he says, you know, my brothers, meaning again, me, this is how you treat me. It, it all comes back to Christ and, and our treatment of Christ that, 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 uh, uh, that ultimately determines our entire philosophical mindset, where we end up. If we try and do it in any other power, if I try and do it in my own power, it's going to lead me nowhere. But if I, if I focus it on Christ, that gives me a, a different uh, different outlook entirely. Yes, sir, Jody. So as believers, we have a desire to love those both inside and outside the kingdom. Jesus seems to, in some way, prioritize those inside you know, our family. How do you, what, are, what, what would your comments be about? Uh, I, I, I would point you back to the entire context of scripture because it's almost like uh, Jesus. Do you want us to serve those inside the church or outside the church? And his answer to that, based on the whole council of scripture is yes. Yes, we do both to the exclusion of no one. And th there, there does seem occasion where he does, where it seems like, oh yeah, he is putting a greater emphasis on, on the church. But then he turns around and then he does say something like, you know, to love your neighbor and to care for your neighbor and love, uh, and lo and love your enemies. Yeah, how, how, we did that just, just two weeks ago. That's the entire emphasis was on, on, uh, on how we treat those who, who hate us. Uh, so again, it's, it's, the, it's the whole picture. And again, we go back to what we just read a moment ago, Matthew 5, was Matthew 5, 48, be perfect. Ooh, that's a, that's a, big, that's a big task. But again, it's, it's all inclusive. We do it all. It's not one or the other. It's yes, both and. And fortunately, we're not graded based upon our performance, but on the performance of Christ who did it perfectly, who did it perfectly on our behalf. Yes, sir, Todd. Inside the church, we don't know who's that's right yeah we have the we have what's called the church visible the church invisible right we, loving everybody like you said mm -hmm. you know, this person may not be a christian today but tomorrow yeah i was, I was having, having a discussion with someone 
recently talking about uh, the idea that uh, if it doesn't if it doesn't have uh, Jesus the name of Jesus printed all over it, I want nothing to do with it. I'm like, well, that's that's a difficult litmus test because even God said Himself, Lord Jesus said Himself. You know, there are many Matthew seven will say, Lord, Lord. He says, Department from me, I never knew you. Because again, if, if you're trying to make it nice and crystal clear that, okay, I'll only serve this group because they have evidence of, of, uh, of, of the fact that, that Jesus is, that if it's by name only, you're going to fail. Uh, there's a bigger context. There's, there's general revelation that God has given us. And, uh, and every good and perfect gift from what we're told in James is from the Father above. You know? So that gives us the scope of what we're to serve and who we're to serve. Just the whole world. That's all. <laughs> well, and I think because in what he said, or what was in the first part is, you know, when did we feed you? When did we clothe you? And he said, you know, you did. It's like you never recognized it because you did everybody. Mm -hmm. I think that was. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Again, because you're not making a distinction because you did everybody. And that's what that's what Todd's point was saying that I meant to highlight was that, yeah, we don't know. We don't know. I, and that was why I went into the Lord, Lord thing, because, again, if we're just looking based on appearance or based on what people say, we really still don't know. And so, therefore, if you serve the whole world, you're you're going to get everyone included in that, too. That's Todd Potter. Yes. Yeah. The, the scripture uh, regarding the fig tree. The what? The fig tree. The fig tree. The is, is that connected? It's connected, right? I mean, well, okay. The, Todd's asking about the, uh, the fig tree that he, he that Jesus passed and cursed. Okay, and uh, there's a bigger story going on there. This is that's not necessarily about serving your, your brother or loving you. That's a greater picture on on Jerusalem and the church and the Pharisees and a, and a, and a, a tree that's not bearing fruit. Okay, it has all the qualities of a tree, but it's not bearing fruit. That is a commentary to the Pharisees. And, uh, and he's, he's saying, depart from me. And again, it, does, it is related in this sense, in this sense that just because uh, someone may have all the right qualities and say all the right things, and doesn't necessarily mean that fruit is, the, is how you judge them, right? Fruit is how we, how we uh, uh, render the test. It's a byproduct of what's going on inside. Yeah, at, at the well, when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. Woman at the well? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's an example of well, who, did he, who does he choose to, to spread his, his message? You know, it's it, yes, it is when he says to the about follow me. He, he picks all different kinds of vessels to to, to work with. He picks the, the tax collector, he picks the Jew, he picks the Gentile, and that's uh, something you're gonna hear more about in the service today. It's a it's for the whole world. It's a Jew and the Gentile. Yes, Dave. Do you think it'd be accurate to say that as a person to person commandment, we're to love everybody the same? But it's like the church's establishment, like they're, they're prioritized with their body first, then love outside. There is their ego. Well, again, I feel like that's a difficult that's a difficult prospect to get into. Uh, when you start to try and put weight on, should I love this person more or that person more? Should I love this person more because they have these qualities or that? I think that's a difficult uh, proposition because then also that puts you on a, a judgment seat that you may not be qualified to, to truly truly answer and so uh again i think this is why that jesus speaks to the whole the whole uh orb you know both your enemy and your brother uh you love them both and i think we stop at that michelle i was just going to say the first description of the, the sheep on the right is come you who are blessed by my father and that just speaks to me of uh, being chosen being sought 
they're the ones who um, have engaged the Lord, he blessed them in that way. Yeah, even early in that passage, making delineation between those who are blessed, those who are who are in the family, in the same as uh, family of Christ, the body of Christ. Yeah. yeah. All right, what time we got? 10.50. Okay, that gives you 10 for those of you who see. Uh, here's someone online. Greg is saying, I feel like Jesus is saying yes to both inside and outside the church. It's a great example of what separates Christianity from other religions. Oh, Beth said that. Uh, yeah, great example. Again, because I, every other religion, every other religion of the world would, would uh, have you say, I think they do make the priority and said only these people are only these people it's it's christ it's christ who said both you know who said love your neighbor love your brother um and uh and you know make you know and to a certain extent uh is is the love for your brother greater uh i think your brother might appreciate it better he might appreciate it more because they understand the the impetus and the engine behind it and so in that respect maybe maybe there is some sort of weight that we can place there but in terms of what my actions are I'm called to do both. I'm called to, to love my neighbor and my brother. All right. Uh, let's. If you have any other questions or comments or thoughts on that, feel free to come talk to me. I'm happy to to work through those issues with you and, and uh, hopefully help you arrive at an answer that satisfies your heart and your mind. Okay. Let's uh, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, it is complete. And we thank you that it uh, it, uh, it it is useful for. Um, things that uh, we, we can't even sometimes fathom, but uh, Father, that we are incomplete, your word is complete, and so help us to, to run to it every time and, uh, and be, um, be guided by it. Uh, we thank you for your, your wisdom that we find in it, and we thank you that we can uh, take that wisdom and, and learn it and share it with the world that needs to hear it. Uh, help us do that every day. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you all. <laughs> yeah.